When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We haven't beaten Walnut Heights in the five years I've been coaching. There are 10,000 people out there. I don't think you're going to do it tonight. There's 37 people in this room who know we can. All right? Yes, sir! All right, yes, sir! That's you, and that's me. So why are we so sure? What do we know they don't know? See, I don't think they know about the human beings inside these uniforms. I don't think they know about the pain you're willing to endure. Do they, Tank? No, sir, they don't. They don't know how hard you're going to hit, do they, Georgievich? No, sir, they don't. And they don't know what you're going to do to Alexander, do they, Riley? No, sir! And they sure as hell don't know about the magic in Rifleman's arms, do they? No, sir. In the next 48 minutes, they're going to find out who you are and what you're made out of. And you're going to make me proud. So you guys are going to go out in your lives, you're going to achieve some great successes, and I hope and pray you do. But no matter what the future's going to bring, there's seldom going to be a moment like tonight when you hold it all in your hands. When you can achieve something together, they can never take away from you. Your friends, your family, your parents, your school, this town. A win tonight is going to give them something to be proud of, something they can believe in. Now, you know what they call us? You know why they only gave us 500 tickets to this game? For the Dagos, for the Polacks, for the niggers! All right, that's what you are. That's what I am. And that's what we are together. And that's how we're going to win this game. We're going to win it together. How are we going to do it? Hello movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams and I'm the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. We talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which flick we choose for each episode, we'll have a lot of fun sharing our memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. So let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Before Friday Night Lights, there was this often forgotten 80s flick. It's not so much a film about the sport of high school football, but the effect of football on its characters. It features solid performances from its young actors and became an important film in the career of its lead by showcasing the tremendous star power and acting skills of a man who would become a mega movie star. So grab your football pads, your cleats, and expect heavy rain to hit the football field as Ronald the Rifleman West and I discuss all the right moves from 1983 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. I see the big smile on Ron's face, the one that I called him by his uh, high school nickname, Rifleman, that came from that, this movie. That has brought up uh, such joy and recollection for me. Uh, <laughs> technically, technically, it was high school, but it was ninth grade, West Virginia, Mount View High School. 
and uh, somewhere in this house, I still have my towel as I was a quarterback, and I I stole this um, quarterback's name from this movie and uh, <laughs> wrote Rifleman on my towel. Um, and the movie just in, in its entirety kind of took me back to my, uh, you know, uh, West Virginia and uh, Western Pennsylvania, um, where this movie is, is set in the steel towns and mm-hmm. you know, West Virginia with the coal mining towns, you know, a lot of common themes, a lot of similarities to a small town, town life, but uh, capped it all off with you referring to me as Ronnie Rifleman. <laughs> West. And uh, if any of my old friends that I grew up with listen to this podcast, uh, they will enjoy that and, and probably mock me as well. So, <laughs> yeah, we talked about this earlier that I, I know this one hits a certain uh, notch of nostalgia for you way more than it does for me uh, because of kind of the setting and, and, as you're just saying, it, it kind of reminds you of where you grew up and you played football in high school. I didn't play football in high school. I wanted to, but we'll get into that later. But I'm excited to have Ron West on this episode. He's already jumped right in, but let's go for it. <laughs> We're too excited to hold back on this one, which is shocking considering who's the star of this movie, Tim? Tom Cruise. Who's my least favorite actor on the planet, Tim? Also Tom Cruise. Oh, <laughs> uh, but if if there's a time period that I can overlook uh, Tom Cruise being in a movie, it's 1983. The movies that he started in 1983, for the most part, I, I, I do like. So maybe it's uh, under the age of 25, Tom Cruise, I'm okay yeah. with. It. Yeah. Over the age of 25, not so much. Well, he was still kind of getting his feet wet at this point. So he wasn't the the mega movie star and action star. And, you know, he does run in this movie but not the running that we're used to now where it's, you know, it's all about watching Tom Cruise run, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that too. So, but anyway, let's jump right in. When did you see all the right moves for the very first time? Oh, so all the right moves uh, in the theater. Um, as you stated, I played football from fourth grade through 12th grade. And uh, uh, so, and loved football and, and any chance I got was playing football and drawing a football play. So, when I saw that this movie was uh, was was coming out, went to the theater and saw all the right moves, and again um, was surrounded by a bunch of uh, girls who were just discovering who Tom Cruise was. <laughs> and were in love with Tom Cruise. If girls were going to the movie, I was probably going to go to the movie as well. Right. But saw this uh, in movie theater. I uh, used to own this movie until very recently on VHS tape. There you go. Uh, purged myself of some VHS tapes just last year, and this was one of the ones that I, I got rid of. Have seen this movie. It's been a long time since I've watched it in its entirety, mm-hmm. um, but easily have probably seen this movie 15, 20 times uh, over the, the course of since it came out in 1983. How about you? Yeah, I didn't see this. Of course, you know, you're a little older than me. So 81, I was way too young to see this in the theater. Uh, I wouldn't have even understood what this movie was <laughs> in the theater. So uh, but I remember, I think, you know, back when, you know, cable was in its heyday and VCRs and recording movies on VHS from cable, you know, you could set your extra long play recording setting on your VHS tapes and get three movies instead of just one. Of course, you didn't realize back then that it was less quality, you know, the quality was not as good when you did it that way. But um, I think somebody, I think it was on, it was on a VHS with something else that I, one of my friends had and I borrowed and, it was like, oh, it's a Tom Cruise movie. And I probably watched, I don't even know if I watched the whole thing. I probably watched some of it, if not all of it. And it just never really stuck with me at that point. But 
I was probably too young to really get a lot of the, cause it's, it's a very serious movie. It, it deals with some, some serious themes, probably more so than I was old enough to understand. Uh, I just want to see a, a football movie and this, as I said in the intro, it's not just a football movie. It's really more about the, the characters and, uh, you know, what their dreams and goals are and the town and that kind of stuff. So, um, so I didn't really watch it for me, like really watch it until really like within the last year, it was on one of the streaming services or one of my cable channels. And I was like, Oh, I've never, you know, I was like, I think I watched it. So I, I watched it then. And I, I appreciated it for what it was. I can see why it's not, you know, listed in, it's not known as, it's not one of his more well-known movies, you know, it's like risky business and outsiders, uh, but it still has merit. It has, it's still a good movie. I think I appreciated it more watching it this time. Uh, maybe because I was watching it a little bit more intently for the podcast instead of just casually having it on uh, while I was probably doing other stuff as well. So you said it'd been a long time since you saw it before the podcast. You going to take a guess? Uh, I would, well, I would guess probably, uh, I think I might've watched it uh, with, with Sydney when she was a teenager. So probably seven or eight years ago. Okay. Uh, but before that, I mean, I, if it was on TV, if it was on cable, you know, every mm-hmm. couple of years that I had the, the VHS tape. So I would watch it uh, periodically, but again, there's a difference. This movie speaks to me on so many different levels that, mm-hmm. that it does speak to you. I mean, the, the steel town shutting down and hundreds of people losing jobs. And then, Oh, we're dismantling this, this, this boiler over here. And, mm-hmm. and the guy saying, man, my, you know, his, his dad worked there for you know 15 years. And right. at that time in West Virginia, you know, coal mines were shutting down and reopening and shutting down and reopening and people, my dad was regularly losing his job and coming to Florida to work. And mm-hmm. so that, that small town, no way out, you know, his brother, you know, one of the kind of the things this movie, the brother is, is not getting out. He's kind mm-hmm. of stuck there. And now if there's no job, then what is he, what is he going to do? Cause he's still a young man. He's just mm-hmm. a few years older than right. I, I, I would guess we're to assume he's, you know, 23, 24, whereas right. you know, right. 18 and, um, but those are, were the common themes of what I lived every day. And, and those people around me lived every day. So, uh, um, I mean, the whole, you know, losing the, the virginity thing was a, you know, a side note, but just the, the small town and the, you know, football practice in the pouring rain and the mud, mm-hmm. and you're just, you're running and it doesn't matter because you don't stop. <laughs> yeah. we, we never didn't have practice because of weather. I, you know, I would laugh at, you know, kind of my daughter's soccer practices and stuff. And I was like, mm-hmm. this one, like that, you know, that didn't matter, you know, rain, snow, yeah. lightning, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. We were we were practicing and it was every, it was five days a week. Um, mm-hmm. There was uh, the weekend was the only off time. Um, so that, you know, that because of that, the movie always kind of, you know, spoke to me uh, a little bit of, you know, and then coming up, them coming up short because uh, uh, Ronnie the Rifleman West uh, 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 <laughs> lost the County championship game as the ninth grade quarterback to Welch and, lost the eighth grade, uh, eighth grade county championship game to Berwind. And, you know, for those, <laughs> those, those losses, even though, you know, you're young, um, I still think about those losses. <laughs> still, I still think about interception. I threw an eighth grade championship with Kevin Martin intercepted in the end zone that I was throwing mm-hmm. to Scotty Harmon and the newspaper wrote Kevin Martin, apparent 40 inch vertical leap to intercept the pass <laughs> in the end zone, you know, and like that whole thing can still play out, which is sad on many different levels, but it can still play out in my head. <laughs> Trust me, I understand that fully. Uh, 
but there have still been times that I can't sleep at night because thinking about that or a reverse kickoff in the ninth grade against Welch in, in the game wow. uh, where I, I was the safety valve on the kickoff, and, you know, uh, yeah. because I was fairly fast and no one would give it. And I couldn't, couldn't catch the guy on the reverse and, and, and score. So um, the, them coming up short, you know, I've always liked the movies and you and I've talked about this in other podcasts a lot of the better movies are the ones that don't have the neat tied up bow um, mm-hmm. at the ending, which this one kind of does. does yeah. fact, had other opportunities and I screwed you out of them. And now I feel <laughs> good. I guess I'm going to try to set it right. Right. But, uh, uh, but as far as the team, you know, not getting to, to win that game, that important game that, that they had, you know, them losing it instead of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. getting to win. Um, you know, I've always liked a little bit more realistic, a little more. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more of us that lose those games mm-hmm. than there are those of us who who, who win those games. Um, so, yeah, it's it's always that's why I've watched it more. It's had a special place um, in its uh, in my life. And Craig T. Nelson as coach. And I mm-hmm. love the TV show coach that yeah. Craig T. Nelson would go on to start in as as a football coach. So, um, uh, you know, a lot to like here. And like most boys in the 80s, had a huge crush on Leah Thompson. Of course, of course. And that's all you have to say about that? That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> all right, well, let's jump into story origin and pre-production uh, and just get the ball rolling because we have, I mean, there's so much we could talk about. The film was made and released three years after its source article about the Duquesne High School football team in Pennsylvania called Duquesne PA by sports journalist Pat Jordan. Here's what Pat Jordan had to say in his own words about how Hollywood tried to cheat him out of his money by making the movie behind his back. <laughs> Did you read this already? I see yeah. you. I see you. I see you snirking. So, all right. So this is, this was, this is his recollection. So I'll read it as him. So this magazine geo calls me up. I never heard of them. Geo was a magazine trying to be national geographic, only bigger and glossier. It was the size of life, but with very heavy pages, almost like a book, really quality stuff. Like those, your coffee table magazines. At the time, I was getting $2,500 a pop from Sports Illustrated. I think Geo gave me 5000 They said, we want you to go to a steel mill town in Pennsylvania and do a story on a high school football team. The premise of the story was either the kids get a football scholarship to Pitt or they work in the steel mill for the next 40 years. So I went and stayed for like three or four weeks, spent a lot of money. The steel mill guys would go into the mill at midnight, get out of work at six. They would drink their way up the hill. The town was built on a hill and they'd go from bar to bar to bar on their way home. I'd be there at midnight with the steel workers interviewing them in the mill. And then I'd go out with them drinking at six in the morning. I didn't shave after about seven or eight days. I looked like one of them. I met some wonderful people, but nobody read the story, but eventually two guys called me up. One guy was a Hollywood guy. Another guy was a music promoter out of Pittsburgh. He wanted to make a hard bitten gritty movie about the story and use some Pittsburgh rock guys. He wanted to use the movie as a vehicle to promote this rock band but he couldn't come up with any money. So the Hollywood people bought it. Gary Morton, Lucille Ball's husband, bought it for $2,500 and would pay me $35,000 if they made the movie. So I got the $2,500 and sort of forgot about it, but I kept in touch with the Pittsburgh guy who really wanted to make the movie. One day he calls and says, Pat, I don't want to scare you, but they're making a movie in Duquesne, Pennsylvania, and it sounds an awful lot like your movie. So I had my agent Sterling Lord call them. They were going to try and make the movie without paying me. So within three days, they mailed my agent $35,000, and that was the only score I ever made. I had a lot of good stuff option, but they never got made. End of his quote. <laughs> Sounds like an interesting guy, just from his 
the way he told the story. Well, it sounds like he didn't have all the right moves. No, he didn't. <laughs> and now, these messages. Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D. of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooged, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagging with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes! According to other sources, Tom Cruise's character has said to be inspired by real-life Pennsylvania coach Donald A. Yanessa, as well as two members of his team. Coach Nickerson was named after one of writer Pat Jordan's English professors at Fairfield University, who was a Jesuit priest. As we mentioned before, the film was produced by Stephen Deutsch with Philip Goldfarb as co-producer. Gary Morton of Lucille Ball Productions was executive producer. Although Lucille Ball Productions gets on-screen credit, her actual involvement in the production was minimized in publicity out of concerns that the film's content would tarnish her public image. Yeah, I can see that because <laughs> I saw Lucille Ball's name attached. I was like, mm, that's kind of interesting. Well, and it's, it's interesting in the early 1980s. I mean, something like that happening now, there's no negative. Oh, yeah, as, right. But in, in the early 1980s and, and, you know, the teenage, you know, um, uh, promiscuity and, and mm-hmm. losing virginity and, and things of that nature. Um, then, yeah, you could definitely see Lucy. So I had that wholesome image. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess still does, but it's just yeah. things you differently now. When because when I read that, that um, oh, they didn't want it to tarnish. It was like that's so funny because now it wouldn't tarnish anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back different time, totally different time. So then, Michael Chapman, the superb cinematographer whose credits included *Raging Bull* and *Taxi Driver*, was chosen to direct. And this would be his directorial debut. Chapman later stated that he didn't enjoy directing at all. <laughs> the cast, particularly Leah Thompson, grumbled at his lack of direction through most of the shoot. After all the right moves, he went back to being a cinematographer primarily, only directing two other feature films, Clan of the Cave Bear in 1986 and The Viking Sagas in 1995. So I've heard of Clan of the Cave Bear only because it used to come on HBO when I was a kid. Uh, but I, the Viking sagas seemed like a direct to video kind of a movie when I pulled it up and looked at it. So, yeah. 
Um, well, that's funny. He didn't enjoy directing, but if I remember correctly, Clan of Cave Bears has pretty pretty good reviews. That's thought yeah. of fairly fairly well. So um, interesting. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I think he. I, but I think you know, it could have been this being his first experience dealing with younger actors, probably less experienced actors, and things of that nature could have been a little yeah. bit more stressful taking on as your first. Uh, your first direct directing job. So uh, the production was filmed over seven weeks in Johnstown, Pennsylvania in the early spring of 1983. The former campus of greater Johnstown high school was used as a location of the film along with point stadium. Although the movie was filmed in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, the fictional town of Ampipe has its own real life counterpart in Ambridge, Ambridge, Pennsylvania, a company town named after the old American Bridge Company, Ambridge and its Western Pennsylvania citizens are said to be as football mad as the citizens of Ampipe were depicted in the film. Oh, yeah, that entire area, uh, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio, uh, Virginia. I mean, just football, football crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also in the I mean, in those small towns, there's nothing to do on a Friday night. There's nothing to do on a Saturday night either, but at least on <laughs> Friday night in, in the in the fall you can go to a the high school football game and they will often travel to the away game with you know mm-hmm. follow just like they did in 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 this movie right um that very common to you know look a little convoy of uh you know local traffic going to the to the other town which is usually not extremely it's not like they're traveling five hours you know right to, right to go play um you know, it may be an hour, you know, depending on, on where they're going. But, yeah, definitely crazy, um, crazy for football um, in those areas. Did you – and I, I know that you read, and maybe you're waiting to get to it, but since you're talking about the old high school, mm-hmm. did you see where they sent Leah Thompson and Tom Cruise into the schools yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ahead of time? I, I did not know that. That is hilarious. They 21 jump-streeted yeah. uh, by sending them in to let them um, – uh, let them get the feel of what a high school is like. One of them got recognized, right? Yeah. At the request of the director, Leah Thompson was inserted as a new student at Ferndale Area High School for three days prior to shooting. Cruz was similarly inserted into Greater Johnstown High School, but was spotted after just one day because someone recognized him from Taps, which came out in 1981. Of course, the Outsiders and Risky Business had yet to be released when they were filming. Thompson lasted for four days. During that time, she was asked out by many of the guys attending school and was caught smoking by the school administration. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, the smoking part makes me laugh because then I I automatically put her into Back to the Future when she was like, we never talked to boys. We didn't smoke. And then you see her as a teenager and she's doing all that stuff. It's like, I guess that was more like Leah Thompson uh, in Back to the Future than uh, she was in All the Right Moves. So. Absolutely. But yeah, but going back to the, you know, talking about the crowds and things out there, there, I watched a video. Uh, if you go on YouTube, I was looking for some behind the scenes stuff. And there, there's actually like an old uh, from that area from Pennsylvania, like their news crew when they were filming the, the football game. And so they, it's like a six or seven minute segment where I guess they kind of spliced a couple of different parts of a local newscast are like, we're here, you know, they're filming this, this scene for this movie that's in our town but they were talking about how the director was hoping to get, if he'd get 5,000 people in the stands, he'd be happy. 10,000 would be like, you know, as, as great as he thought. They ended up with like 25,000 people showed up 
to fill the stands for the football game, which they said last, like people stood in line during the day, got in the stands. And then of course it went to like two or three o'clock in the morning because they kept running the, you know, you're having to film certain scenes over and over and over again. And they had the rain aspects and stuff. So I just thought that was, I was like, when you were talking about small town, there's nothing to do. It was like, yeah, we get 25, 25,000 people from probably six or seven towns, you know, you know, to tell how far they came to be there. Uh, because especially back then, filming on location in place like that wasn't as common. You know, they were going to, they probably filmed that in Hollywood or somewhere else and on a set. But I'm telling you, part of the reason they got that kind of response is because it was football. If they said we need a whole bunch of people to line these streets because we're filming a parade, mm-hmm. that's not the turnout that they got. <laughs> even because it's a, even a fake football game. Right. Uh, but it's going to be a football movie. That's why they got that that response and people willing to wait in line and, and mm-hmm. stand up and all that stuff. They it wouldn't have done it wouldn't have done that for a high school baseball movie. It wouldn't have done that, for, <laughs> uh, you know, Hoosiers in, in uh, that area not not playing as well. You know, filling uh, filling the gym, mm-hmm. but for football they'll they'll come out. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that that game and some of the behind the scenes of the game as we get a little bit going into favorite scenes. I think so. Let's talk about casting while we're while we're here. So of course, Tom Cruise is the lead of this movie. Cruise was drawn to the project because of director, Mike Chapman, who was cinematographer on Martin Scorsese's raging bull, a film he'd seen at least 10 times. Uh, Scorsese, by the way, after seeing all the right moves, wanted Tom Cruise for his upcoming film, color of money, which came out in 1986. So uh, Ron and I were talking about this before we started recording. 1983 was the year when Cruise's peculiar energy and magnetism began to percolate into his unstoppable rise as the biggest star of the last 40 years. Okay, that, that's a little hyperbole, but he made four big screen appearances in quick succession that year. The Outsiders was released in March, losing it in April, and then in August, Risky Business. All the right moves came out two months later, hoping to cash in on his rising star status. Look, Cruz did okay. I will tell you the parts that he does in this movie that irritate me. And, um, <laughs> Let's jump right in. One is the running when he's he's telling uh, the coach, you know, who yeah. made you go? Right. He's running away, and then he's stopping, and then he's running really, really hard, and then he's stopping and turning mm-hmm. around and says, that's, that's the beginning of the Tom Cruise unnecessary running. You can just walk <laughs> away down the street. There's no reason for you to sprint away and then stop and turn around and say more and then walk away and then sprint. Some, just sprint for no reason. But uh, uh, the, the Tom Cruise, that's annoying. Um, and then his stance as a cornerback is is just <laughs> terrible stance. His feet are just way too close together, and it's all this nervous energy and moving around and everything that irritates. And that irritated me when I was a kid watching it. And I'm like, no, you're not <laughs> uh, doing that correctly. But that being said, I don't know. He probably does a decent job in this with the you know the teenage uh, angst and uh, you know the putting the pressure on 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 the girlfriend as teenage boys are known to. Do on occasion, you know, but not, you know, over the top and this desperation to get out that he wants to go on and do bigger things, you know, some type of uh, engineer. Um, mm-hmm. I remember when the first time I watched it, I was thinking of some kind of architect or something, the way he was drawing the plans up, but right, wanting, right. To, be a, wanting to be an enge- engineer and uh, uses his math and science skills. Um, you know, he, he, he did, he did well. I don't know that there's uh, other people that I, that I would say, Oh, this, I would have rather seen this person cast or, or, mm-hmm. or that person uh, 
cast. He was definitely in physical shape because he uh, uh, loves to take his shirt off and show the ab muscles and uh, uh, and the upper body uh, strength. Right. So, yeah, he 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 was he was adequately cast in this, as was Leah Thompson, who I'm assuming you're getting to next, uh, as those are the two leads, as the sweet, loving. Mm-hmm slightly naive but trying to figure out what she wants while at the same time holding on while letting go yeah and then my daughter being a band kid you know i love the fact that he was a, <laughs> he was a band nerd not a cheerleader you know? right so, uh, right you know anytime we talk about leah thompson in this movie which you know try to be a family friendly podcast but here we go <laughs> so yeah. In uh, 2018, Leah Thompson stated she initially did not want the part as a script required her to participate in two nude scenes. She told IndieWire, the producers wanted me to show my breasts twice in the script. I didn't even audition because I didn't want to take my shirt off, but I got the part and I was like, okay. But Tom Cruise persuaded the producers to drop one of the scenes and volunteered to appear fully nude himself in the other to make her more comfortable. She said in that moment, he said, well, if she has to be naked, I'll be naked too. She said she's always been grateful to him for standing up to the producers. So I read that as well. And I'm going to be honest here. Great that he got them to drop the one nude scene. Mm -hmm. But I cannot for the life of me figure out why he's getting credit for volunteering to be naked while she's naked. (laughs) You know, are you naked in this scene? I I know I'll get naked and be right up against you then. Right. Make you feel better. (laughs) Yeah, now I'm relaxed. I don't, right. I, I, don't, I don't, I don't get that at all. Right. Uh, but that is what, by all accounts, what happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I, you know, I, I watched a couple of interviews, and she did say the scene was written where he was going to, you know, he would basically, he was going to take his shirt off, but his pants would stay on, but she was going to be fully naked. So he said, "No, I'll do it." So anyway, I don't want to spend too much time on this aspect of the of the of the movie, but. Gotcha. <laughs> but I do think it's interesting, like even at that stage of his career, because we talked about this a little bit during Top Gun, that he get he kind of gets involved pretty heavily in the movies he's in. So for him to have that kind of sway to say, hey, let's take this out to the producers. Number one, you got to pretty be pretty assured of yourself, which we know that he is. And two, that you've got to be able to persuade people to do that, which. Obviously, he's, he's good at that as well. So, you know, I'm not want to try to imagine what other scene, unless they cut the scene out altogether, unless it was the the scene in the car. Kind I'm of assuming other... it was in the car when yeah. he, in the movie he puts his hand up her shirt. I'm, right. I'm, I'm assuming he would have raised the shirt, mm-hmm. uh, which was is unnecessary. We all knew what was happening. Right, right, exactly. Um, so, um, yeah, we can move on. Okay, good. <laughs> So it's no surprise that in, that in the four years after this movie, Thompson went on to several high-profile films, Red Dawn, Back to the Future, Some Kind of Wonderful, which is the movie where she met her future husband and director, Howard Deutsch, who has worked with uh, the great, late, great John Hughes on several films. I didn't realize, I, I, I mean, probably did, but I forgot that she was married to Howard Deutsch. I thought it was interesting uh, just reading that back. So, but yeah, but I love Leah Thompson's movie. I think it's, I think she's fantastic in the role um, I'm glad she got the, the the part, and I loved that they gave her a character more than just the girlfriend kind of a thing. You know what I'm saying? Like she, for her to talk about her dreams, you know that she wanted to be a music, she wanted to be a teacher and 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 pursue music. She wasn't like I said. I, I like that she wasn't just the cheerleader that was just there to cheer him on and kind of be the arm candy kind of a kind of role. And I really like the scene. I know we're kind of getting the favorite scenes, not this necessarily favorite scene, but. 
the scene where she goes and talks to the coach's wife and they have that conversation, which I thought was, you know, once again, I think this, this kind of elevates it from just your typical high school movie or even high school football movie that it really dealt more with the characters in a, on a deeper level. And, and I liked that her character um, kind of got upset with him. Yeah. Her, her own version of being, being upset and not being able to get out of there. And all you football players are going to get scholarships. Mm-hmm. And I'm the one doing homework for the football players and I'm, <laughs> I can't get a, there is no scholarship for me. Right. You know, and I want out of here as well that, you know, voicing that, um, you know, good for her, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting because, and maybe it's just because of the way movies are made now versus how they're made by then. And, and I'll have to remember too, like 83 is still early eighties and think about Chapman who directed with Scorsese in the seventies, where movies were making a shift, like the movies of the set late seventies, early eighties were a different type of movie because they were trying to be more, it was trying to be more realism and more gritty and talking about those kind of, those kind of themes and stories. So I appreciate that that's there, that it makes it a multi-layered movie. It's not just about football and it's not just about, like I said, not just about the football players trying to get out, but there's other people in that school that want to get out just like the football players do and what options do they have? So it's smart. And fitting for that time as you say. Yeah. So let's talk about Craig T. Nelson as coach Bert Nickerson. This was his first big role playing a football coach. He would later perhaps become better known as a character football coach, Hayden Fox on the TV show coach, which Ron mentioned already. Cause that's what I, I definitely remember him from, but yeah, I don't, you know, this is another movie that there, I didn't get any kind of alternate casting. There weren't any other people there were kind of looking at, or at least I didn't see any of that in the notes. Uh, but I, once again, another perfectly cast. I think he was great in this role. I think, and I didn't look at his filmography, but I know like Poltergeist came out maybe the year after this, or maybe the same year. So I know you and I were talking about how young he looked watching this movie. Now he had to have been like late thirties, early forties. Yeah. He's, I, I think I looked it up and he's like 39. Um, I think, I think he was born in 44. So he's 39. And yeah. And I would guess Poltergeist is 81, 82. So that was yeah. probably right, right before this. Right before. So, um, so he's definitely, you know, making a name for himself <clears throat> at this point. But I mean, you know, true to a football coach in that type of environment, was you had a coach like Coach Bert Nickerson? <laughs> no, not really. Um, <laughs> coach Sparks was our main uh, coach. He was our PE teacher uh, uh, as well in uh, in elementary school and junior high. Uh, and he also happened to be really good friends with my father, so he was at my house all the time. Oh wow! Uh, okay, and so he could be a little little harder. Uh, on me because he expected a, a, a lot of, mm-hmm. of me. and I just had all the uh, he never would have push box never would have blackballed me on something but he um, I had all the respect in the world for him because again in that little small area he was the only person that I knew that had gone to college on a football scholarship he went oh, to okay. and he wasn't a real big guy Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had played nose guard in college and like he didn't have two fingers that pointed in the same direction all his fingers pointed in different <laughs> when you're an undersized nose guard on that defensive line you're just mm-hmm. getting, those fingers are just getting broken left and right um but uh he was fair and he was he was definitely hard mm-hmm. and uh, uh but that was just you know uh, i mean you could, 
anybody up there, whatever, who all the different coaches that could probably be said of all of them. I mean, yeah. it's just, you kind of, you kind of had to, had to be that way. All right. Well, we're not going to cover all everybody on the cast, but I'll hit, uh, we'll talk about Chris Penn, which I think is the other stand, kind of the other standout or one of the other standouts in the cast. Of course, yeah. he's the brother of uh, Sean Penn and started acting at age 12 in the loft studio while in high school, he and his brother, Sean made several short films with their classmates, which included such would-be stars as Emilio Estevez and Rob Lowe. Uh, Penn made his on-screen debut in the Christopher Kane movie, Charlie and the Talking Buzzard in 1979. After a few years, Penn caught the eye of acclaimed director Francis Ford Coppola, who cast him in a supporting role in the teen drama Rumblefish, also or in 1983. Although, although the film was a flop critically and commercially, Penn's career was well underway. All the Right Moves came out later that year, and in 1984... Penn gave a breakout performance in Footloose, starring Kevin Bacon. Penn yeah. followed this up with a uh, villainous role in Clint Eastwood's Pale Rider in 85 and the crime movie at Close Range in 86, starring Christopher Walken. He went on to be seen in films such as The Best of the Best in 89, Reservoir Dogs in 92, and Mulholland Falls in 96. Uh, unfortunately, throughout his life, Penn had battles with heart disease and multiple drug use, he was found dead in his home on January 24th, 2006. He was only 40 years old. So a little sad news of that. But I, when he, as soon as he came on the screen, I was like, man, I, I remember, you know, I see him and I think about all the other movies that I remember seeing him in. Of course, Footloose is probably the one I knew him the most right. from. But, uh, but even as he got older and he would pop up in little, little small supporting roles. Or I mean, he was in Rush Hour for like two or three minutes. I remember him being in that and a few other uh, movies in the 90s, early 2000s. Uh, but yeah, yeah, he definitely evolved into more of a character actor as his as his career went along. But the the first every time I see him, the first thought of, is of him trying to dance in footloose. <laughs> yeah, but what, what comes to mind for everybody when they yeah. see Chris, which which when they they have the scene in the locker room when they're dancing and they're trying to get him to dance, and I was like, well, once again, we know that he cannot dance. That that was not. <laughs> which I've heard stories that in footloose, like you know, Kevin Bacon's told stories about how you know he. He, he could do a little bit, you know, he was an okay dancer, but it was like, yeah, Chris Penn was really, he's like a lot of that stuff you saw was us really trying to teach him how to dance. Like he had no rhythm whatsoever. So, uh, which I think is hilarious. Which, which played perfect for that role. In that exactly. Movie. Exactly. But yeah, I think he's great in this movie as well. That, you know, that his whole storyline, which once again, this is a 90 minute film, so it's not a long movie, but you think if, you know, they would have packed in another 20 minutes and kind of looked at some of the other characters. Like I would have liked to have seen more of, of his character and kind of that, what his life, you know, I think you saw in those brief moments of like, you know, he had these dreams that he was going to, cause he was going to UCLA, USC. Right? USC. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course his girlfriend gets pregnant and he's like, he has to put all that aside and, and get married and be a dad and stay there. And of course that affected Cruz's character. You know, it's all part of the story, but I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of him in the movie and more of, you know, maybe his relationship with the girl and some of their conversations, but, you know, we're just, this is all, you know, hypothetical at this point. The, they definitely kind of just leave that storyline, just use his storyline of getting his girlfriend, the cheerleader pregnant to advance Tom Cruise's character's deter- further determination that mm-hmm. he's going to get out of there and not, not be uh, stuck yeah. there in that town. And yeah, we never get, so Tom Cruise gets the scholarship at, at, at the engineering school in California, but his buddy doesn't get to leave Pennsylvania for USC. I mean, if he, he's going to USC, 
play linebacker. You go to USC playing linebacker, your next step is to go to the NFL. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, um, and he's um, not going to be able to do that. And he's going to stay there in a town where it's going to be hard to find work. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to, to support his family. And his um, one of the best parts of that movie is Chris Penn's trying to, um, well, there's two. One, trying to give the pep talk at yeah. the pep rep, yeah. where he's stumbling around trying to say, we're going to win. We're going to do this. We're going to do it for you. But he's obviously got other things on his mind and he's stumbling on his words. But then him trying to convince um, uh, Tom Cruise's character, Steph, that he got what he wanted. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. This is what I want. This it's really look, look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm, this is what I want. This is, mm-hmm. this is it. This is good. You know, where of course everyone and, and, and Steph looking at him like, dude, no, it's not. This is not, I know you're doing it cause it's the right thing to do, but this right. is not, not, that's a, um, I mean, it's a pretty poignant part of the, the film. Uh, a lot of the depth of the film, but yeah, yeah. it would have been interesting to know, kind of dig into that a little bit more. Maybe that should have been the sequel. Um, yeah. The, um, um, uh, you know, all, all the other moves, uh, yeah, moves, moves that we could have made, um, <laughs> uh, which would have been moving to LA. Yeah. <laughs> moves, moves we didn't make moving to LA. Right. All right. So we'll move on and talk about Leon who Ron was mentioning earlier. We both forgot that he was in this movie until we saw him in the, in the locker room uh, as Austin shadow Williams. This was his feature film debut and he had a good run of films in the eighties and nineties with movies like the Flamingo kid in 84 colors in 88. The one I remember the most from the five heartbeats in 91 cliffhanger in 93 cool runnings in 93 and above the rim in 94. Yeah. And he he played David Ruffin, didn't he? And that was a TV miniseries. Yeah, he did. Uh, he did a couple of TV movies. He was in the the yeah. Temptations movie. Yeah, and, that was, he played David Ruffin in the, the yeah. Temptations movie. Yeah, Leon um, and definitely hung around um, for a while, and I had forgotten he was in this. And he's the one in the movie that gets the scholarship to West, West Virginia. Virginia. You know, yeah, from, <laughs> the fact that someone from that movie got a scholarship to WVU, you know, really stood out to me as a as a kid who had multiple WVU shirts and hats and everything laying <laughs> around the, the the room at the time. Yeah, and then you said Steph even says he really wanted to go to uh, West Virginia. So, yeah, got what he wanted. Got Good what he him. wanted. Yeah. yeah. All right, and then uh, of course Ron's favorite character, Rifleman, who was played by Walter Briggs, really played high school football at Hackensack High School. In fact, after he graduated from Hackensack High, the movie was being filmed that summer, and Walter was doing a training camp at Montclair State College, now University. After he filmed his parts in the movie, he joined the Montclair State College teammates in Upper Montclair, New Jersey, where he had a successful four-year career as quarterback for the Indians, now the Red Hawks. Walter Briggs also went on to play a short stint with the New York Jets as a quarterback during the strike season. Those perfect spirals one season in the movies are the way he actually threw in college. This was his only movie credit. At one point, we're going to get to favorite scenes. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite scenes of that movie has always been Rifleman rolls out to his right and then unleashes that bomb down the left sideline to mm-hmm. Shadow. And he that and that is a beautiful pass. And it is a tight <laughs> spiral. Yeah. And easily 50 yards in the air and just unleash that. And I'm like, I remember as a kid watching that and just again being a football, little football nerd, just mm-hmm. being, oh, beautiful <laughs> throw. Beautiful throw. Yeah. Uh, and and never until looking at this, I never realized. Like I assumed that was some kind of stunt double, somebody that played football. Right. Not realize 
that the actual quarterback who's playing Rifleman was actually a football player until mm-hmm. I read this for this. So that, that was really cool. Yeah. Well, we are in favorite scenes. You just took us, took us to that part. So favorite scenes, go for it. Uh, that was always one of my favorite scenes. Just again, I, I just loved that pass. It was a beautiful pass. Her playing the, uh, her little, um, what was it saxophone or whatever outside the window? Oh yeah, the, the yeah. pole. I always thought was a, a, a pretty good little little scene. Mm-hmm. And then um, the Tom Cruise's character doing the and on on this day God created what <laughs> doing God created football God created right. leader. And then uh, shouting out the uh, the play sixty two stack monster sixty two stack monster <laughs> jumping on the table and breaking the table. Right, I always. Uh, enjoyed that. And now I, um, yeah, now I didn't look this up, and I guess I would ask you because you played football. Is that a speech that football players know, or was that something he was just making oh, up on I'd the never, spot? Okay, he was making that up on the spot. Okay, I had never heard any of that before. But on day day six, created cheerleaders. And yeah, day seven created the football player. Um, yeah, definitely not anything I'd ever I'd ever heard before. Yeah, I but, just um, I was I was curious. Like that's like some you know, some story or some, something that good that football players have said, and they just kind of, it gets passed down from generation to generation or something. What all football players have heard and would, and ultimately probably my all time favorite scene in the movie is uh, right before they go out to play the rival and the coach, every coach has talked, has said to the team, this team we're about to play doesn't know what's about to happen to them. Do they? <laughs> they don't know how hard we've worked, do they? And then when he starts naming off the, the players and he says to Steph, they don't know how hard we're going to hit, do they? Mm-hmm. No, sir, they don't. And he says to Rifleman, they don't know about the, the magic in your arm. They don't know about the magic in Rifleman's arm, do they? And he says, no, sir, they don't. He goes out and names uh, certain certain ones. Uh, Tank, he says something to Tank as well, which is the uh, the guy that he was grabbing by the face mask. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you've ever played football, you've had that coach. He grabbed you by the face <laughs> mask and just jerked you all around and, very common. I they'd get sued if they did that now, but um, back in the day, they definitely did that. But that scene was um, definitely a kind of a motivational. Like even watching this, like I was ready to get and hit somebody. I mean, that was, <laughs> it was like they don't know. Uh, but every coach, not that specific thing, but every coach, every football has had that coach tell them this team. You know, especially if it's a team that's supposed to be better than you but right. they don't know how hard we've worked and they don't know how hard we've sweated and they don't know you know and you're going to show them today who you are mm-hmm. remember the titans yeah <laughs> uh you know the, the, there's always that that um speech and so um that would be my all-time favorite scene in the movie what about you sir what scenes stand out to you this one doesn't have you know this wasn't doesn't have those iconic scenes that i, I would pull from other kind of movies it's not that type of movie I love the football game. I mean, that's probably my favorite and maybe because it's the most action, you know, kind of more action part of the game of of the movie. But, you know, and then of course when it starts raining and it becomes like the, you know, more like the mud bowl and uh, that kind of stuff was really cool. You know, the scenes you mentioned, I think we've kind of talked about them, you know, the, the more heartfelt scenes, like I said, that, that, that scene you mentioned about uh, Steph and uh, Sean Penn, uh, not Sean Penn, uh, Chris Penn. When they're right before the wet or right before the wedding, we talk about that scene or we talk about a different scene, but with right before his wedding and he's, you know, they're just having that little conversation and there's not, there's no specific dialogue that I can think of, but just that friendship of, you know, hey, I'm going to stand with you. I know this is hard for you. The, you know, the dreams that we've had our whole lives of us going to college together and 
hopefully one day playing NFL together, you know, as soon as you walk into this church or wherever the ceremony is going to be, that's over, you know? So it's subtle, which is the great part about the movie. It, it, it has Nothing's kind of, you know, hit you over the head with it. It's, it's all in those subtleties, but I liked that scene a lot. And I liked how, you know, Penn and, and Cruz worked that scene and well and kept it in those subtleties and not nobody's yelling at each other and, you know, being intense, right. you know, those kind Unnecessarily of things. Unnecessarily so. Yeah. The, um, well, and you, you touched on something that, and I'll, you know, the football, the high school football in this movie is maybe the most accurate, mm-hmm. you know, like they were just letting people play football. Like I loved the TV show Friday night lights, but the yeah. football yeah. themes of Friday night lights were so fake. And <laughs> yeah. you knew what was going to happen before it was going to, yeah, yeah. just it was just so contrived. Whereas this, I mean, they're just showing people, you know, hitting each other and tackling mm-hmm. each other and, and, and things. The only football scene, and it's a big part of the movie that is, is not so accurate is Vinny's fumbling. Yeah. He, he does such a poor job taking the handoff. <laughs> just, his, his hand placement and everything are just mm-hmm. so, he was so obviously trying to fumble the ball that, you know, that part is a little uh, annoying. Right. But the, but all the rest of those football scenes are, are, are uh, you know, just people playing football. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, the, I can see why you would say, I mean, that was really realistic, uh, mm-hmm. more so than any other high school football movie we've seen, including Remembering Remember the Titans. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, I, I will say the the one, you know, we, we kind of joked about this earlier. I think I remember recording we did, but about, you know, go for the ball, you know, go for the ball. And I'm like, dude, you're a senior. It's your last game. You've been playing this position for how many years? And that isn't that like the most fundamental part of the position that you play is that, you know, if, it, if the it, ball it is, is coming. But when Craig T. Nelson, the coach, says to him when he's going around, they don't know what how this is going to happen. They don't know how to hate. What does he say to him? They don't know how hard we're going to hit, do they, right. uh, Georgievich? Yeah. No, sir, they don't. He doesn't say they don't know how well we're going to play the ball, do they, Georgievich? <laughs> this you is know? true. And so, so, you know, he's kind of given uh, Steph mixed mixed messages there. Right. Um, but most people in that situation, I mean, the, the glory comes from the interception. Yeah, get, exactly. Get hands on the ball. Yeah. Um, you know, and he's not playing, you know, safeties are the ones that want to come up and clean someone's clock and hit. Mm-hmm. He's, he's basically playing a corner, uh, playing an outside corner in this. He's locked up in man coverage on the outside. You know, that's, you're not looking for big hits in that, kind of there's no momentum for you to make a big hit so mm-hmm. you can definitely play the ball get right your hands on the ball um and it definitely was interference oh uh, yeah <laughs> good, good um yeah but uh but yeah so so that that but i love the game was great i i enjoyed that that segment and then it's a it's a small scene but it goes back to what you're talking about before about you know you you still think about those plays that are you know things that didn't work and you know, if we could just do this better. And I love the scene of the coach in bed with his wife. And he's like, I should have done this. And I don't remember exactly what he, what he said he should have done, but like, should even have had Rifleman, uh, uh, just take the snap and kneel on the ball and not try to hand oh, it off. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just take the snap and then just kind of push this forward against the center enough to get right, out of the end. Right. And the rest of the ball. Yeah. And then I think that even in the bar, the bar scene before the guys go and trash the coach's house, the one guy's like, why don't you just take the safety? We still would have won even if we took the safety. And I, and I had the same thought when it happened. I was like, because my thought was, you know, I was like, 
you know, get the ball. It was, it was like four seconds or 10 seconds, whatever, scramble in the end zone as much as you want and then throw the ball away. Why risk the handoff in, in wet weather or whatever? So, uh, so well, with, drawing back the throw and the ball coming out of your hands could be problematic as well. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I, I honestly, I remember the first time I watched that movie and then even watching it again this time when, mm-hmm. when the guy said, why didn't you just take the safety? And I remember thinking, yeah, that's brilliant. Why, why not just take the safety? <laughs> why could you just go backwards and then take the two and then you're going to kick off? Um, right. You know, so basically they're going to get a, a chance on a kick return mm-hmm. in muddy situation, you know, um, you know, but definitely a, a better, better chance. But oh, oh, Vinny fumbled the ball and then, mm-hmm. and then robbed a gas station right, or whatever. Right, and, right. Know, went to prison. Yeah. But then it also goes back to it's like, you know, they want, they keep blaming you know, Steph for losing the game because of the penalty, but he really didn't because they, you know, it's like Vinny is the one that dropped the ball in the end zone. I mean, he's really the one that lost the game for, I mean, but I know there's, there's the past issue or whatever. So those are little things in the movie that kind of bothered me, uh, you know, watching it. But uh, anyway, those are my, my nitpicky things. But Vinny had his own issues, like you said. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So no iconic scenes though. No. But I mean, I mentioned all the things that you mentioned. Like, I mean, or were good. I, and the way, especially the way the movie is edited too. Like, a lot of the scenes are really short. Like, there's interesting cuts in the movie yeah, that, yeah. like, even music is playing that it just cuts. And that's why yeah. I was telling you, I was like, I was looking for like deleted scenes or alternate scenes, but I I couldn't find anything online about any deleted scenes. So I wondered, I wondered if it was a longer movie that got cut down to 90 minutes, but I couldn't find anything in my research to show that's what happened. But there are certain scenes that feel like they were cut short or you know edited in a, in kind of a more choppy manner than I was I would would have been used to. Well, and that's interesting because I do remember one thing that I read that they they wanted and hoped that the soundtrack would be a bigger thing, right. and that when the credits roll, the soundtrack is the first thing yeah. that rolls. <laughs> yeah, right there. Hey, here's this because they were hoping it was going to be bigger, I guess, than it was. Yeah. Um, uh, but like you said, they cut off those songs and things through, throughout the movie. Um, and I, again, I, I, I spoke with you about this before the podcast. In my mind, his brother goes back and beats up the guy that uh, beat him up in, in the bar. Right. Uh, that's not in this movie. I couldn't find anything <laughs> about deleted scenes. I don't know why it plays that way in my. Maybe I just wanted his brother to go back and. and uh, right. And uh, uh, beat up what's the uh, uh, Bosco? Wanted him to go back. Bosco, yeah, yeah. But um, anyway, uh, but yeah, uh, short movie, definitely worth seeing. And now these messages. <sighs> what seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Hell, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR! But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. Let's talk a little bit about some of the, you know, some of the 
trivia stuff. And, and most of this is going to talk about the uh, actual game, but a few before we get there. So, you know, this doesn't surprise me at all. Tom Cruise insisted on doing his own stunts during the football practice and game scenes. So, of course, he was sent to the hospital at least once with a concussion. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know for the life of me where that would have come from. What I don't know what big hit he. Yeah. I, I mean, you played in one football game and you got a concussion. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah. You played in one, one not real football game. Right, right. And, and got a concussion. Uh, that just makes me think he was being too eager and hit somebody. And then someone went, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. You want to play real that, football? Okay, here we go. Next play. Mm-hmm. And, and he got introduced to, as you put it, real football. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but because the, the plays that he makes, um, you know, playing the ball, playing the man, mm-hmm. I mean, those aren't things that are going to get you a concussion. So something happened that, that we don't, yeah. that we don't see. Yeah. Uh, so you and I talked about this, you know, once again, before the podcast. So on ESPN classic, when they showed an interview with Leah Thompson during a commercial break, she mentioned that the producers wanted the city to look so bleak that no filming was permitted on days when the sun was shining. And we talked about how the only scene that I can remember in this movie where this actually see the sun is the very last scene where he signs, you know, the offer letter, the, you know, the, uh, the scholarship. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. And they should have, that's when the soundtrack should have cut to the sun will come out. <laughs> Bet your bottom dollar. You're welcome. That's what uh, the Cosmic podcast, right? There, there you go. I'll be sure to put that in the show notes that everyone knows that Ron sang in this episode. Near the beginning of the film, while talking about his potential college coaching job, Nickerson mentions that it is between him and quote unquote, you know who from Aliquippa, the real life coach of Aliquippa High School at the time the movie was made was Donald Yanessa, who portrayed the Walnut Heights coach and was actually the uh, uh, technical advisor. He was an advisor on the football scenes. So that was that was interesting. Right. Um, and John is where they, you know, I, I looked up earlier, you know, I discussed John sounds where they filmed the movie Slapshot as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, Early eighties, Hollywood Hollywood goes to small town Pennsylvania there for, <laughs> for a few movies. Yeah. That there was John a, town was Atlanta before Atlanta. Yeah. The new Hollywood. And there was all and I wonder if they filmed anything from Flashdance because there was uh somebody had written that Flashdance and all the right moves are basically the same movie, just one is a dancer and one is playing football. So she would have made a better football player. <laughs> but then we would have had to watch him dance. <laughs> yeah. And even his dancing in the uh, in the locker room scene made me laugh because he was not dancing very well. He is not. And, so, and thinking about coming out coming off a of risky business with his most infamous dance, if you want to call it dance scene. Uh, he definitely Take those old records off the shelf. There you go. Should have listened to him by myself. Yeah, I think that's everyone of a certain age. When you hear that song, you think of that scene in oh, risky. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's the only reason that move that song is even popular because it's it's because of that scene. So uh, Bob's be upset with you hearing you say that. Oh yeah. Uh, This is probably one of my favorite things when we're talking about the game. Uh, So the film company recruited players from the local schools to fill out the teams. They selected the larger and more agile players for Walnut Heights and the scrappier players of lesser stature for Ampipe to fit the stereotypes of the opposing schools. Interestingly, many of the best players didn't participate because of concerns that their NCAA eligibility would be compromised because they were being paid $40 a day during filming. 
Interesting. But the quarterback, the rifleman did and went on to play. Yeah. And not have any issues. Yeah. I think it was more of their fear of it than it's something being actual. I mean, they weren't being paid. Right. It was, it's it's, different, it's different, different reason for the payment than, you know. Right. You're being paid to be an actor, even right. though you are playing, not, not yeah. being paid as a professional football player. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last little bit of trivia, which I thought was, I, I when, when the rain started, I was like, that is like some serious, serious rain. <laughs> so the rain for the game was created by Johnstown Fire Department water cannon and some special effects misting for the close-up shots. It didn't actually rain until later that week after the game time filming had is already complete. The rain created by the fire department ended up ruining the field and had to be completely replaced after filming. And uh, one person had talked about, which I, I thought the same thing. It starts raining and literally within like three or four minutes, it's a complete muddy mess. And I was like, it would take a little bit longer for rain, even as hard as it was raining for it to become that, that messy, I would think. So I, I can tell you, I mean, part of that would depend on, on the field and the condition of the field before it started raining. And then it could have been raining for a solid week and then just not rained that day. And yeah. so everything had been already soft. So the, like our field where I lived in Gary, we had a football field and we had a phenomenal field. Mm-hmm. We had the world's worst bathroom, locker room <laughs> setup. but the field, the grass, because of coach Parks, he fertilized that thing and cut that thing, but just a mm-hmm. gorgeous, beautiful grass. The main field uh, in the town where the high school and everything, though, in, in Welch, the center of that field, there was no grass. Okay. It was just dirt. Yeah. So it did not take much rain at all. <laughs> and the entire center of that field was, was yeah. just. Yeah. Um, so it, it, you know, like you get that there, you don't have money to resod fields and stuff. Now they have, they have just last year, just last year, 2020, <laughs> they built a new field up on the top of the mountain there at Mount View, uh, which is where I went as a, as a freshman before moving to Florida. And uh, that new field, I've seen some pictures and everything. I, I mean, just gorgeous and mm-hmm. immaculate. But that field was the, you know, the Welch High School field forever. And the, the midget league teams play on that field and the high school uh, plays. I mean, so that field, the one that I was talking about that was muddy, mm-hmm. constantly being used. It was not just, um, you know, and for practice all during the week. It's not just mm-hmm. the game, the game day field. It's just the one field. Right. Uh, but once you don't have grass there, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to get it to come back. So, um, you know, that's, it's, it's possible. Our field was never really muddy like that because we had gorgeous grass. We, I, we really did have a beautiful field, but, um, but I've seen other fields. The, uh, it, it didn't take a, it didn't <laughs> take a whole lot um, for them to turn, turn pretty, pretty sloppy. Yeah. But yeah, I love a good, I love a good, football scene when it's muddy like i love a good rain football scene or sequence the one scene in that where t- they show tank and he's down in his stance and he's yeah he's like moving his fingers in that mud mm-hmm. a little bit yeah get, yeah getting get to where he's going to get some traction i mean that's that's a uh that's a, a real thing my buddies kurt and jimmy you know they always played the line and uh, uh and kurt kurt loves some mud I don't know if he'll listen to this or not. Kurt loves the mud, and then to get somebody on the ground, and then give him the old groin shot. Boom! While he, while he got him. that was his, that was his go-to move, man. That's what he was. That's what he was going for. And then laugh about it with Jimmy when he went back to the. Oh, I got him! I got him! That's, I got him. that's awesome. I love it. All 
All right, well, let's start wrapping this thing up. Talk about box office and critical reception. All the Right Moves released on October 21st, 1983, 12 weeks after Risky Business made its debut. It came in number six at the box office on its opening weekend behind other new new releases, The Dead Zone and Under Fire. None of them could remove Never Say Never Again from its third week at number one, however. All the Right Moves was made on roughly the same $6 million budget as Risky Business, but it took in just $17 million rather than the $60 million earned by Risky Business. For a $6 million budget, it made $17 million, which I think is a moderate success. It wasn't a blockbuster like Risky Business was, but it still made its money back, which is more than a lot of movies can be set up today uh, of this type of movie, I would say. I don't have a whole lot to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Rotten Tomatoes has it at 61% on the tomato meter with a 39% audience score, which I think is pretty terrible. IMDb has it a 5.9 out of 10 with a 62 on Metacritic. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, that, I mean it's, it's not uh, great and uh, it has great, you know, moments kind of, of, you know, value to me. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that some person in California who didn't play football who's watching this movie is, is watching right, this and right. being as, as enthralled as, as I was. By the way, the um, I looked up the Never Say Never Again uh, mm-hmm. the last Sean Connery Bond movie. I was I right. assumed that was Roger Moore. By the no, yeah, I, that was, yeah. The final uh, Sean Connery Bond movie. So it deserved to stay at number one. It deserved <laughs> not. Yeah, I mean, this is not something anybody's going to watch, but that's a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, like we touched on earlier, the soundtrack isn't even uh, that great, no. but you know, young Tom Cruise, young Leah Thompson, young Leon, and uh, some good high school football action. So um, yeah, still worth the watch. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think with Rotten Tomatoes too, because it's a newer, you know, movie rating system. Those are probably people, you know, that's not people that watched it when it first came out. That's people watching it. You know, be like Sydney watching it and saying, "Yeah, it, she's not going to appreciate it for what it was in 1983." I can see right. why that. I can see why that score is very low, uh, but it, it had decent reviews when it came out. It, you know, it just didn't. It didn't hit the the blockbuster, you know, notes like Risky Business and Outsiders. Which I guess Outsiders wasn't necessarily a blockbuster either. It's more become more of a cult classic, but. But definitely, definitely, I, I once again, watching it the first time, I'll say the first time for me that I remember watching it a year ago, I I probably scored it a little bit lower than I did watching it this time. And I think, I, like I said, I think watching it this time, I, I, I knew more of what to expect going in. And then I picked up on more of the subtle, the subtleties and the the, the layered aspects of the story more so than just being a football movie. And I think if you're going in expected to be your typical high school football movie where it's, you know, kind of like the, I remember the Titans or a Friday night lights or something like that. It's, it's not going to be that type of movie. So where it's the, you know, once again, the, the main football game in this movie is in the first half. I mean, it, there's no big game at the end. They're trying to win. Like the, the football game happens in the middle and you don't see any more football at all for the rest of the movie. So it's not your typical football movie at all, but it's definitely worth checking out. Any, yeah. final, any final thoughts? Um, I know some people that had some of the right moves. And uh, I know a couple of guys that had none of the right moves. <laughs> I don't know anyone that ever had all the right moves. Um, certainly not, uh, not Tom Cruise. 
Although you may be an exception, my friend. You, you're, you're, you're like uh, average human body temperature. You're like 98.6% of all the right moves. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to respond to that. No. <laughs> no, I appreciate the sentiment. Uh, I've made plenty of bad moves, I'm sure, and uh, we'll continue to make some bad moves <laughs> along the way. But that's, that's, that's what life is, is, hey, you got to make some moves to, to get to all the right moves. So some moves still have to be made. So, and that's our philosophical moment in today's podcast. So philosophical musings by Tim and Ron. There you go. Maybe that's our next podcast. Maybe so. Maybe so. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode. Thank you, Ron, for being a part. Always a pleasure to have you on the podcast, my friend. What's my name? Ronald Rifleman West. (laughs) I just like to hear you say it. All right, everybody, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message through the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. Another way to reach us is through our social media pages. Search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a five-star rating along with a stellar written review. And don't forget to follow us on Apple and Spotify as well. No matter which podcasting platform you're listening to us on, be sure to read the episode show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Well, that's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s Flick Flashback. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.